Today we're joined by Egomoose, who you may know from some of his tech demos or possibly from some old wiki articles. As usual, my name's Bantech and I'll be your host for this discussion. It's time to explore Beyond the Blocks. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Blocks, the podcast all about the Roblox platform and game development. On this episode, we're joined by Egomoose. So hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello. It's nice to be here. I've uh, been a fan for a very long time. Back when I used the account Jelly134, the Roblox wiki was sort of a thing that anyone could apply to, and I became a writer for it. Um, So I obviously know you from that. But in case some of the audience haven't been on the platform that long or have managed to avoid you until now, can you briefly describe what you do on here? So I'm a developer on the platform. I've been here since around 2009, and I used to be a volunteer for the wiki with you, as you said. And nowadays I mostly make articles and open source projects that I release on the dev forum or on my GitHub. Okay, awesome. So, I mean, the first thing I wanted to talk about was actually the wiki and um, sort of where it started, how you joined the wiki. Um, Was it sort of through applications? Yeah, so back in the day, there was actually a link on the front of the web page, which you could click and send in kind of like a demo article that you wrote. And I think the guy at the time, his name was uh, Gordon Rocks. Um, He would read your application, and then if he thought you were good enough to write for the wiki and be a volunteer, you would get an email back from him and an account that you could use to log in and make articles and whatnot to post on. People who don't necessarily know what the wiki is, it's basically kind of a more primitive version of the developer hub that we have now. It was kind of what it used to be. And I also became a writer on there, but I didn't necessarily write too many articles. I just sort of helped with a bit of documentation here and there. Um, but I think you had a bit of a bigger role on the wiki. So like, what sort of things did you used to contribute on there? Yeah, so a lot of the things that I contributed uh, had to do with math. Um, so back, back then, and, and you can see this kind of carried over even to the current wiki, is there was not a lot of documentation about things, for example, C-frames. People didn't really know how they, they actually worked, the inner workings of them, how when you multiply C-frames together, that gives you the output that you get, things like that. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I added was those articles or snippets that were added to the articles to make those things clearer to people. What you wrote on there definitely helped a lot of developers. And I think that's where a lot of people, uh, particularly old school developers will know you from, but obviously the wiki did eventually sort of get shut down and move over to the developer hub. Um, so what kind of happened with that? Why did they switch from the wiki to the dev hub? And why did they get rid of this like volunteer role? It was really interesting, actually, because at the time when this happened, the there, there are a lot of volunteers on the wiki who didn't actually do a lot of stuff. So those accounts slowly kind of got um, faded out until there was kind of like a core group of people left. And from that for- core group of people, they kind of brought us together and said, hey, we're, we're looking to kind of revamp the wiki and redo it from the ground up. And there was a lot of amazing promises that we, we got in that, and we were hearing about that. But, but one of the big things that they were deciding on at the time was whether they were going to keep volunteers or not. And to my knowledge and understanding at the time, from what we were talking about, the main reason they were apprehensive to keep volunteers 
was due to potential like security issues because we had those accounts fading out and stuff like that. They were worried about that kind of going forward. And so they were debating about moving to an in-house team, which is what they actually ended up doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm definitely one of those accounts that faded out <laughs> because <laughs> I think I, I went on a bit of a hiatus um, and when I left, I was a writer on the wiki and when I came back, I had no access to it and it had kind of gone. Um, so I think I'm probably one of those that, that faded out but uh, didn't do any damage to the wiki, of course. Um, so that's, that's quite interesting because now the developer hub obviously has a few extra things that I think the wiki didn't have. Um, but I think some people also miss some of the original things that the wiki was very good at. Um, and I think some of that was some of the tutorials, some of the documentation was actually a little bit more detailed on the wiki, I think. Oh, f- for sure. I think like one of the big things that I always see that people complain about um, and definitely bothers me the most is when you click on, uh, for example, a specific API thing and you just want to see kind of what it returns, it'll say things like, you know, it'll say like instance instead of a specific object that it's going to return. And that can be really annoying um, for developer. It, it, I've actually found that in some cases, a lot of the way that people learn nowadays is is only because there's these kind of veteran developers that are able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, the touched event, when they say instance, they're talking specifically about base parts. And then that kind of just becomes common knowledge, luckily. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just one of those things that will happen when you move from a team of uh, kind of volunteers who care very much about what they do and will obviously spend a lot of time formatting things and making everything perfect to an in-house team that obviously have deadlines and a finite amount of resource and things like that. Um, I think it's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, and and for sure the, the, the actual in-house team, I have mad respect for them. Like it's a Herculean task to take over what a huge group of people was doing before and now I don't know the exact number of the team but probably like two three people max yeah definitely and sort of around the same time as you writing on the wiki I think uh, you created some sort of YouTube videos that help some people and I think Alvin Blocks might have even mentioned uh, one or two of these videos that helped him uh, way back when he was learning to script um, so what was kind of the motivation behind creating videos as well and, and what were they about? So in my experience, it's really a lot easier to write content for people to learn from when it's like actually written. Um, but a lot of people don't learn that way. A lot of people are visual learners and like to see things on their screen and hear things. Uh, so my motivation was 100% to just kind of make it more open and have more people be able to access it. Mm-hmm. And when did that stop and why? I think it was just kind of a general phase out. I became more busy with other things. Um, So if I was going to have time to to make a new kind of tutorial or something along those lines, um, it was going to have to be written because that's what I had time um, for in terms of creating something that I felt was of decent quality. Otherwise, if I made a video, it was going to be really rushed and really long and not edited well. And it's just not a strength of mine. So I kind of tended to go more towards the written content. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, I've tried to create some videos and um, some sort of little behind-the-scenes type things um, on my own channel, and it's actually quite a lot of work. Like, I'm I'm sort of um, quite in admiration of people like Alvin Blocks who can create these tutorials week after week and just show things in a way that people can understand because... Uh, I've probably got maximum maybe like five videos on my account and some of them are just sneak peeks of things. It's quite hard to sort of plan out a video, record it, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, and I have so much admiration for these people, people like Alvin Blocks and other people who've made these kind of series. 
I, I just like I can't I would never be able to do that stuff myself and and it's it fills a huge gap in the community so um, like just round of applause from me to those types of people who, who do those things. And then another thing where you sort of were helping out new developers and helping out with documentation things is on the website scripting helpers um, which we've sort of mentioned in a previous episode with Eva Era uh, not long ago but that website is pretty much kind of it, it was almost a replacement for the original forum wasn't it yeah so it was actually around before the forums came out but when the original forums were closed uh, it was a, a place for sure where people migrated to to ask questions because also simultaneously at the same time the dev forums were nowhere near as open as they are now so people really didn't have a place to ask those questions as they were learning and scripting helpers definitely came in uh, to fill that void how did you get into scripting helpers? Was it um, were you approached by the people who were running it, or did you apply to help? Um, I it's been so long now, but I believe that I applied to help at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and again, very similar process to the wiki. I typed in kind of a demo article, if you will, and they read it over and messaged me back, and there I was on the on scripting helpers. Awesome. You still help out there today, or not really? Um, I'm still definitely in the Discord pretty active on the actual website itself. I go on occasionally, but I wouldn't say I'm as active as I used to be. Okay. And then finally, uh, sort of those those kind of things evolved into what is now the developer forum. Um, and it's now become a little bit more open than it used to be. As you say, it was quite closed. It became a little bit more open, and now it's to the point where it's kind of automated. You can become a new member by just interacting with it and... Uh, reading through quite a lot so first of all kind of what do you think of the dev forum what do you think of the fact that it's becoming more open and uh, do you spend a lot of time on there yeah so i'm definitely one of the people who supports having the dev forum be more open i think it's one of the few places um in the actual like roblox specific website so not like a community-based initiative um something actually run by roblox that you can go and ask questions and kind of interact with the community um the forums used to fill that role, but nowadays it's all on the dev forum. So I feel like if we don't have it more open, then people don't have a place that is kind of like specifically represented by Roblox to go and ask these questions. And that very well may mean that they might not even find one of these community-driven places like Scripting Helpers or, you know, Alvin Blox's community or any place where you go to learn. Mm -hmm. And then I think you also have a GitHub, don't you, where you post some of your um, projects and some of your open source things that you've created. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I definitely have a GitHub. I think a lot of developers nowadays do. I kind of all posted a whole bunch of open source projects there, but really what I mainly use it for nowadays is to post articles and whatnot. Um, so I have them kind of like my own copy. Um, I really enjoy posting things in kind of like a Roblox-related space, so something like the dev forums or scripting helpers, but because I specifically don't run those, what I don't want to happen again is what happened with the wiki, where all the articles that I posted were gone. Now, I made copies of those, but it's quite hard to find a place to upload them, so it's best now that anything I release, I release with the intention that first and foremost it's going to go on GitHub, and then anything else can come after that, so I have my own copy. Do you find that a lot of people read those things on your GitHub or do you find that it's quite hard to kind of spread the word about those? No, I would say a decent amount of people read them. Like if I go into a Discord chat or, 
you know, someone messages me, a lot of the time they will reference the articles from the actual GitHub itself. Sometimes it'll be from the dev form, but if it's not on the dev form for whatever reason, then I'll definitely see the actual link to the GitHub. Yeah, that must be quite useful, actually, because I find myself often, uh, if people ask questions, explaining things um, and then not really having anything to sort of link them to to read a bit more about it. Um, it's obviously quite useful to just give them the, the sort of the base knowledge and then say, you know, here's an article if you want to read a bit more in depth about it. So let's dig a little bit deeper into some of your open source projects then. So one that I think a lot of people will know you from um, is your fairly recent one where you made portals out of viewport frames, which I've seen all over Twitter and lots of people using it for various different projects to kind of make really cool things. Um, so just where did that idea come from um, and like what was the motivation behind creating that project? So... There was actually a thread on the dev forums where someone was asking to kind of replicate um, how they might be able to replicate portals from the video game portal. And everyone kind of was responding like, oh, yeah, like viewport frames have come out and we've had those for a while. But if you've ever used viewport frames, what they do is they um, it's like directly your camera. So if I think of it like as a CCTV it's just like sitting somewhere in the world and you get that kind of full view of the camera. But what you want in Portal is you want, like, think about like if you look at a door in real life, you just want that cutout of the door. You don't want the door and everything else, you know, in the to the side of it and above it and below it and all that. You just want what you can see through that actual door. Mm -hmm. So viewport frames um, gave us that CCTV view, but they didn't give us like the ability to really look in the door itself. So what that thread was asking was how can we kind of get just what's inside the door? And myself and a number of people um, in that thread were working kind of like crazy in, in over a few days to come up with a solution, uh, which we actually did. And I think, to my knowledge, we were the first people to pull that off. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd never seen anything quite like it before. And I've never actually played the video game Portal, which is like really bad because everyone says I should play it. It's a game that I definitely like. Um, but I mean, even just the, the demo that you've created kind of makes me want to go and play that game because it's, it's pretty cool. It's an interesting concept, though, sort of having the world kind of replicated inside of a, a viewport frame. And what kind of like technical challenges were there behind making that work smoothly? I'd say most of the technical limitations are to do with the actual viewport frame itself. When you use a viewport frame, you have to take a clone, or at least to, to do what we're doing, you have to take a clone of everything in your world that would be reasonably visible and put it underneath the viewport frame. Um, so if you have large worlds, that's definitely a technical limitation because you're essentially doubling up what you already have. and if you have moving parts, that's a whole other challenge because then you have to replicate that going forward. Are there any really cool uses of your portal project that you've seen from other developers um, who've sort of maybe turned it into a game or used it within something they've already got? Yeah, so um, there's a game called Portal by Homemade underscore Meal, and it's really popular. I think it has a couple million views, and it's doing just what we were talking about earlier is replicating the video game Portal. He did a really good job of it. I mean, it's a lot more than just the actual viewport frames. He's got the physics and he's got the like 
fancy particles and all that jazz. So it's definitely more than just like the the actual viewport frame aspect. But he's used that, I think, the first of anyone to create an, a, a uh, replicant of the Portal game uh, that everyone knows and loves by Valve. And it's, it's really amazing. I think it's gaining a lot of traction. I think he plans on making like a full game of it because right now it's just kind of a tech demo. Okay, awesome. I mean, I've definitely seen that shared around Twitter and it does, it, it looks epic. They've got sort of the orange and the blue portal. And as you say, they've, they've kind of built upon what you've done and added the physics, solved some of those problems as well um, and made a bit of a game out of it. What's, the, what's that like kind of seeing someone else take something that you've made and obviously put out there to help other people and building upon that and making something really cool from it. I don't think there's anything that makes me more excited than seeing people use the things that I've made to create um, experiences that either I would never be able to because I'm not as artistically inclined or because I never thought of it myself. It's it's very rewarding and it's really cool to to try them out and be like, wow, this person put a lot of effort into something and built something huge off of something that would have never been possible if I hadn't uh, released this out to to them. So other projects that you've done, I know that you've made that gravity controller project, which some of the videos from can make you feel a bit nauseous as it's going around. Um, but essentially, do you want to just give a quick description of what that does? Yeah, so there's two controllers um, that I think people reference when they talk about the gravity controller when they're talking in relation to me. Um, I have one which is kind of exactly what you'd expect, expect. You can walk, you know, on balls and cylinders and every which way and every which direction, upside down, left, right, on terrain, all that type of stuff. Um, and then I also have one which I dub the wall stick controller, which is a little different in terms of like how it, how it works technically, but it lets you do things, same things, you can walk upside down, can't, can't go on terrain, but beyond that you can walk upside down on sides and so forth. But it also um, moves relatively with the objects, so that means you could like create a platform that you're going to like shoot across the map with um, like a cannon, and you can stand on it, and then as the cannon shoots, you move perfectly in sync with the uh, like cannonball. That is pretty epic. What kind of things have you seen people using that for? I think the biggest uh, game that I've seen using it is called Big Brain. And it's an obby of sorts in that it's a little different than normal because there's all that gravity going on with it. So you kind of spawn somewhere and then you'd like walk down a platform and go upside down. Um, and then jump upside down on spinning platforms and then the platform spin and then you're kind of on a different lateral or vertical look. It gets very confusing and very nauseating, but it's a, it's a very classic um, obby type feel with a huge spin on it in that you're solving these puzzles with a whole new dimension, potentially. See, I'm terrible at normal obby games where the gravity acts in a single direction, so <laughs> I have no idea if I'd be any good at that, but I think I'll have to try that out sometime. And then I think the other sort of big project that I've heard of yours is quite useful actually to a lot of developers and it's Rotated Region 3, um, which sort of solves some of the problems where the globally aligned Region 3 just doesn't quite do what you want it to do. So again, kind of where did that come from? Were you solving your own problem or someone else's problem? Um, so a lot of the things I make uh, are definitely to solve my own problems or my own challenges, uh, but I think it definitely came from a mix of those two things. Like, I was very aware that people wanted a rotated region 3, and people had attempted to do that before, 
I know um, axis angle had a model module, sorry, uh, for rotated region three, but whenever I used it, at least it, it didn't seem to work. I don't know if it was because I was using it wrong or if it just broke over time, but I was definitely interested in creating my own to solve this problem for myself, but also so that other people could as well. Um, so really, as you say, it kind of, it just takes a region, which you can define by C frame and size, um, and you can define different shapes. So you can do balls, you can do cylinders, just normal sh bricks, etc. And um, you can find the parts that are inside that, that shape and region, which you define. I've seen a lot of people also um, respond to articles on the dev forum or, or posts on the dev forum rather, with a link to your rotated region three, where it solved people's problems. So I think it's definitely one that is more applicable perhaps than the other two projects because the other two kind of are very specific or perhaps you know create a very special effect in certain games i think rotated region 3 is one that applies to a wide wide range of stuff yeah for sure and then i think one last project that um i think is probably a little bit more special and very specific than the others is probably one where you got challenged by building to trains to solve a problem yeah, so there was a video going around on Twitter, which was kind of making a storm for people who are interested in game dev in any capacity. And basically what it was is this guy in Unity would go around and he had a camera and he'd take a picture and then a Polaroid would come out of the camera and he'd hold up the Polaroid and then he'd, you know, he could move around the room because he's just holding the Polaroid and he would spin it and then presumably he'd press a button or something on his computer and the image would perfectly kind of come into reality, if you will. So like the Polaroid, he'd move it away, but the, the image itself had now um, kind of brought itself into the actual physical world. So you take a picture of a teapot and then you'd hold the picture up and you'd look around and then you'd press the button and then the teapot is now perfectly aligned with your perspective and has been kind of melded into where you were looking when you actually put the Polaroid down. It's quite interesting to see because it's almost like taking 3D turning it into 2D, walking around, and then you kind of put it back into the 3D space. I mean, that must have been challenging. So what is it that drove you to complete that? Yeah, so um, Building Two Trains uh, kind of made a tweet saying, like, I would be like amazed if anybody can do this in Roblox. And a few people kind of pinged me with that. And so my response was like, hey, I'll give it a shot if you're willing to kind of throw into charity and so he's like for sure yeah like if you do it i'll donate 100 bucks to charity so i've set to work and i had it kind of finished in roughly a weekend and i posted it and he was really happy with it and he's like wow i can't believe i can't believe you pulled this off and he donated to uh, unicef and uh, i was really happy with that and i was really glad that we were able to kind of come together as a community and pull that off that's awesome one weekend to complete that is pretty good that's quite impressive Talking about sort of your projects and things, one thing that has been announced and is going to be quite interesting is that you've been nominated for one of the Bloxies, um, which for anyone who doesn't know what the Bloxies are, they're kind of awards that Roblox gives out each year. You can sort of maybe compare it to the Grammys, that type of thing, I suppose, but for Roblox development specifically. Um, and there are many different categories, and I believe you've been nominated for Best Use of Tech, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So what was that nomination for, and uh, how did that whole thing come about? How did you get notified of that? Yeah, so the nomination itself is for the portals, which we talked about earlier. It's it's not specifically a game, um, even though 
that's what would be linked. It's more for the actual like module itself. And basically the process was is that I logged into the dev form one day and I had this message from the staff which were saying like, you've been nominated, congratulations. Um, we're going to need you to create a potential acceptance speech. So if you do win, um, this is what we'll play. So it's a bit weird um, creating an acceptance speech for something that you might not necessarily win and may never get played. What was that like, kind of receiving a nomination for that? Because I think a lot of developers, whether they like the Bloxies or not, I'm pretty sure everyone kind of pays attention to them and would like to win one at some point. So I assume this is your first Bloxies that you've been nominated for? Yeah, so it is definitely the first I've ever been nominated for. Um, I, w- I was really surprised. Um, to be honest, I, I it was really unexpected because when I got the message, um, nothing had been publicly announced yet. So uh, it was kind of out of left field. Like It wasn't like, hey, the Bloxies are coming up, so keep your eye open for you know something you might get nominated. It was kind of like, oh, this is a random message. I, oh, it's from the staff. What could this be? And then I click it and I was like, oh, okay, I've been nominated for something. This is kind of unexpected, but I'm really excited to be part of that process. And I'm also excited um, for the competition as well. Okay, well, I mean, I look forward to watching the block season. Hopefully you win that award. That'll be good. In terms of game development then you sort of mentioned how usually the Bloxies might be for a specific game or might link to a game um, and you kind of just work on these modules and these projects have you ever created a, a sort of a game for yourself on Roblox or have you just occupied yourself with these little demos mostly it's with these little demos I've, I've definitely made games when I was learning um, but nothing I'd really want to show people today um, they're old and probably disgustingly ugly and nowadays like if i were to open them up i'd kind of like vomit but (laughs) that's kind of how all beginning projects are right you you look back on your old work and you go ugh. and definitely with whether it be games or anything that i've released i'm constantly um trying to usually pull myself away from stuff because i I don't want to spend all my time rewriting something now that i've kind of gotten better and progressed forward that's quite interesting because i mean you obviously know a lot about programming and you know a lot about Roblox to be able to help other people, to write on the wiki, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's quite interesting that you've not had a game for yourself. I've definitely been kind of dabbled in games, and, and I definitely do have projects that I'm working on. But in that sense, I'm, I, I guess you could say I'm a bit of a perfectionist in that I don't want to release something unless I think it's really kind of like pushing pushing the boundaries of what people thought you could do on the platform and creatively as well. It's fair enough to release something that you're very proud of rather than just releasing for the sake of releasing a game. On that note then, do you have any kind of plans in the future, anything that people listening might expect to see soon? Um, I don't know how soon you'll see it, but I am working on something right now. It's um, a bit of a unique experience in that I don't think a lot of people, I don't think any any people have made something like this before. It's not It's not like it's a, some crazy unheard of idea. I just don't think anyone's done it before. I'm working on a, a puzzle type game. It's kind of like a one-time play, um, roughly about an hour long, and it's gonna be really hard. And you're gonna work with, with a friend. Um, ideally, you'd be like on a voice chat or something like that. And um, it's going to have a lot of puzzles that are going to be really difficult and I think are, are going to make people go, wow, I didn't think you could use the platform in this way. 
that would be really interesting to see, I think. And it'll be interesting to see um, sort of the age range that it appeals to, because I think a, a thing that a lot of people find with Roblox is that a lot of the front page games in particular are aimed at quite a low age range. But there are people sort of even 17 plus who use Roblox on a daily basis and are kind of looking for games that will attract them. Um, I think a puzzle game, particularly a hard puzzle game that requires working with friends on something like a Discord call or whatever, that seems like the perfect type of thing that would appeal to a little bit older audiences. Yeah, and that's that's exactly who it's aimed at. Um, I have no no doubt in my mind that this will never be a front page game, but it's not intended to be. So I'm very happy with that if people are playing it. Perfect. Well, we look forward to seeing it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow the podcast to make sure you don't miss any of our future installments. And why not leave us a voice message? I'll listen to it in a future episode and answer any questions. Use the Anchor app or find instructions to submit a clip manually on the Bantech Systems website. Thank you to our guest Egomoose for joining me today. You can find him on Roblox for links to his social profile and also check out his Twitter and GitHub. Be sure to fill out the guest application if you'd like to feature on a future episode. You can find it at bantech.systems forward slash btb guest. Beyond the Blocks is brought to you by Bantech Systems, a development studio creating interactive games, systems and solutions on Roblox. Find Bantech's profile on Roblox and click through to the Bantech Systems group for more information. Don't forget you can listen to any episode of Beyond the Blocks on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and many other popular listening platforms. You'll also find it on the Bantech Systems YouTube channel. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode of Beyond the Blocks.